Shane Willis. Uh, I think this morning for our podcast, we need to go a little bit of overtime. Do you know any writers who we could bring in on this? I know one, and he is going to be great. Absolutely no pressure on Scott Burnside now. Newest member to cover the Carolina Hurricanes, and we actually have him live in studio. And it is in our studio, which he can clearly just walk in. He's got all the keys now. Scott Burnside, good to see you. How are you doing, Scotty? I'm doing very well. I'm very pleased to be here, and it's true. I just did walk in like I own the place. It's not true. Uh, Tom Dundon, if you're listening, it's not true. I've not made that claim anywhere yet. Yet. <laughs> the, the culture in North Carolina, we are just welcoming. It's I mean, true. Rod Brindamore talked about it when he got yeah. traded here. Yeah. If we were really going to welcome Scotty, though, we should have had Stormbrew, the official sponsor of Kane's Cast, brought to you by Stormbrew. It is just 97 calories, 2.4 carbs, a crisp, refreshing beverage, no matter what time of year. That's so, what I like to so say. So crisp and cool. I mean, with the weather changing, but still 70 degrees, Stormbrew. And less calories. Keeps our figures nice for television. <laughs> Your figure, maybe. People still trying to figure me out. But uh, we've got a lot to get into. And I think the first thing that we need to address here at the recording of this podcast, the Carolina Hurricanes are 5-0 and after game one of a four-game homestand to close out October. And it's always kind of the, what have we learned about this team? You know, Scott, Shane, and I have talked a little bit about this through the, the first three games. What have you noticed about the Carolina Hurricanes to get them to this point at 5-0 and that stands out and be like, oh, this isn't just a hot start. This is something that can be sustainable here in Carolina. Yeah, it, I mean, I've watched all the games and <clears throat> happened to be here for Monday's win over Toronto. A lot of um, hype, of course, with the Leafs coming into town and Frederick Anderson playing against his old team. And I had a chance to talk to Don Waddell for a piece I'm going to work on. Um, and we talked about the, the offseason and, and, and what he admitted were some, some risky moves, right? I mean, you, you have Dougie Hamilton leave, and everyone knows what he brought to the team in terms of the offense and in terms of, you know, puck mobility, all the, 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 the things that we, you know, fans in Carolina came to, to know and love about Dougie Hamilton during his time here and, and, and completely changing your goaltending rotation and how it was going to work with Frederick Anderson and Antti Ranta here. And um, I guess I'd just been surprised – that almost immediately Frederick Anderson was handed the keys to this team by Rod Brindamore and the coaching staff and how he's responded. I mean, to run it 5-0, and um, you know, at some point, Antti Ranta is going to have to play and that, that you know, the, the platooning is so important, I think, for, for all NHL teams and you want to have your health going forward. But to me, that's been the interesting thing is watching how Frederick Anderson has almost immediately made this his team. Um, and, and I don't, and I love the sort of defense by committee, which is how I think they approached, you know, filling the holes on the back end there and, uh, had a chance to chat with Ian Cole, who I've known for a long time and such, if I'm building a team, I want Ian Cole on my team. And, and I've been so impressed with Ethan Bear too. I just think that the, the, there is such a tremendous upside for such a young player. And I think he's going to, to be someone that fans here will, will recognize fairly early on that he has the potential to be a, um, cornerstone player on that blue line for a long time. No, and if you our fans are new to our podcast, I hope you aren't, but if you're new to Scott's writing, definitely follow everything he puts out because they're such quality stories and in-depth of the knowledge you have about this game. But you mentioned Freddie Anderson and coming from Toronto, and you've been to Toronto, you've seen that culture and really the pressure of the situation. And now you've been here in Carolina for a little while and you've seen the atmosphere here. How much does that play an effect, not only on Freddie, but all these new guys and the culture and the fan base? And really, when you talk about pressure, yes, there's always pressure for a player to win, but how do you think that affects new guys coming in, especially a goaltender? I, I think it's critical. And I covered the Leafs for a couple of years. Uh, it was a long time ago, but uh, the dynamics still exist. The, the media concentration there, um, it, it it changes everything. It's not necessarily that the media is unfair in a place like Toronto, although I think there, there can be that tendency. But, but what happens is the, the pendulum swings between, oh, my gosh, we love yep. you more than anything, to, oh, my gosh, why are we paying you? Can we get rid of you? And it happens to lots of players, and it happens in a very short period of time. Like, you can go from hero to goat. You can go from wanted to unwanted in, in literally in a mat, matter of hours in that marketplace. And I think when you come to a place like Carolina, um, where it's a much smaller media market, 
Um, I think I think there is. I, I just think it allows players, you know, whether it's Ethan Bear coming from Edmonton, and and there were some ups and downs for Ethan Bear playing in that Canadian market. We know that Frederick Anderson. Lots of ups and downs for that entire team. They haven't won a playoff round yeah. since before the 0405 lockout. So I just think that there is a chance here in Carolina to you know, sort of find your own space, find your own rhythm as a player coming to a new team. And whether you're a, a young guy like Ethan Bear, Tony D'Angelo coming in, some of the other new players who've joined this team. But I think, to your point, Shane, especially goaltending, it, that's the real critical part, and it seems – very early on that Frederick Anderson has found that groove and his teammates have warmed very, very quickly to how he plays the game. I've loved his game so far, and you mentioned Ethan Bear. I don't know if I've seen a guy next to Steve Lawrence smile as much as Ethan Bear when he is around this arena. Like, he is so happy to be here, his energy. And I agree with you, maybe a little under the radar right now of how well he's really played in this lineup with these six defensemen. Well, the one thing I've noticed about Bear and you can point to this a little bit better than I can, Shane, but I think playing in Edmonton for a couple of years, he learns to take a peek and see if his forwards are flying the zone. And some of the stretch passes that he's made hasn't necessarily resulted in a goal, but he has sprung some forwards going off the boards. you got to think that has to have come from playing with a couple of guys who are pretty good in Edmonton. I think that McDavid guy's got a really bright future, and Leon Dreisaitl's pretty good as well. But I've noticed that like he can make those passes, and he's not afraid to make them. And when you have a coaching staff, I think that's the other part of it here when you come to Carolina with Rod Brindamore. People have always asked me, Scott, what's been the, the change here? Well, it's Rod behind the bench, and he gives the players, and Shane, you know this from playing, you can make a mistake. Don't, don't be afraid to make a mistake if you're trying to make a play. You know, you get mad that way. So how much do you think, when we're talking about the Canes and some guys being brought in and brought up to speed, the coaching staff, and, and namely Rod, has that fingerprints on, that's why these guys can adjust so quickly because the coach allows them to just go and play the game. Yeah, well, and I I talked to Ian Cole about this too and it, because, you know, Ian's won a couple of cups. He's played with, you know, he played for Ken Hitchcock. He's played for some of the, you know, the great coaches of this generation. And, uh, and he said... What he's learned from Rod early on is that he coaches the way he played, which was hardworking, detail-oriented. He asks of his players what he asked of himself as a player, and he demands of his own, of himself as a coach and the coaching staff, and and it's and it's the entire lineup, right? I mean, there's accountability demanded whether you're playing six or seven minutes a night, or maybe you're a healthy scratch and playing only periodically, or if you're Sebastian Ajo or uh, Andrei Svechnikov, the, the, the demands are the same for all the players. And I think that resonates up and down a lineup. And I think that also makes, you know, a young player coming in or a new player who's had experience somewhere else, you know what your role is. You know what you're going to be asked to do. And you're right. It's not about, uh, well, if you make a mistake, you, you, you will be punished for it. It's, hey, try not to make them. Try to correct those errors. But we play a certain way here. And, and sometimes it's risk-reward, but it's about all about the effort when it comes to Rod Brindamore's coaching style. And the one thing I love about Rod, and as you mentioned, Mike, I got to play alongside of him, but you and I talk now, and when I go on and talk about this team, I mean, I get so juiced up because I see how good they are and how far they really could go, but he's still so calm. He's like, we need to do this better, we need to do this. But he also, on the other side, doesn't have that snap factor. Like, he's not going to yep. bury you if you make a mistake. He's played the game. He realized that's part of it. But how do you get right back on track? And I think that encouragement through his whole staff, Jeff Daniels is so good with the young guys. And now you have a guy like Tim Gleason, yeah. hard-nosed defenseman, but that's going to push those guys. And, you know, I talked to Tim last week, and I said, what did you, you give the guys? Like, coming in as the new assistant coach, what did you give him? He goes, it wasn't a lot of information, but it was a checklist, right? A habit list that you have to have every day to play in this league. What habits are you generating on a daily basis? And Ethan Bear is a guy, and Ian Cole, who knows those habits, are thriving in this area right now. Well, Shane, you're, you're coaching kids right now, so you're behind the bench in that way. And Scott, you and I have been around the game for a while. How much is coaching just overall changed? Like, you mentioned Ken Hitchcock. Ken might, if he wanted one, you know that uh, an owner, a general manager, would hire Ken to go behind the bench because of the track record. But how much does that style, the iron fist, that it, it just doesn't work anymore 
in hockey. The game, not only has the game changed, but how you have to coach the players has changed. And I think Roddy is the guy who kind of cracked the code. You can't, it's no longer coach-player relationship. It's got to be we're all in it together, I guess. And that's the, the thing that's worked here, especially right off the hop. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And and, and I think, you know, guys like Ken, Ken Hitchcock would acknowledge that, you know, I think of a guy like Paul Maurice, who, of course, fans know so well here. And I, I ne- never get tired of talking to Paul Maurice about hockey. And I always thought it was quite refreshing over the last couple of years when there have been incidents, whether it was Mike Babcock, Bill Peters, who was here, different sort of situation with Bill Peters. But a lot of um, a really uh, bright light shone on that coach-player relationship, as there should be. Because I think in the past, it, and Shane, you may have lived some of this yourself, but, you know, lines that should have been should never have been crossed were often crossed because that was part of the hockey culture. And we know that that's changing and it needs to change. But that was the, like Paul Maurice talks about having to, you know, sort of self-evaluate. Well, how do I, how do I relate to the players? How, what's my relationship like with them? Tom McClellan's the same thing in Los Angeles. I think a guy, if you're going to stay in a, a coach a long time in this league, you have to self-evaluate and you have to recognize if you, that you can't do what you did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And, and you're, Rod, you know, his playing career, exemplary, but, you know, certainly Hall of Fame worthy, um, and his learning as an assistant before taking over the job. And I know in talking to him in the past, he had a really clearly defined idea of what he wanted to achieve as a head coach, how he wanted to approach it. Like, he came with a plan, and, and it's and it's the evidence uh, and the success of that plan's implementation is on the ice almost every night. Well, I think what makes, as you mentioned, a few of those guys, Paul Maurice included, who I played for, and when they evaluate themselves, they have to be willing to change, right? You have to have a plan that you want to stick to, but you have to be moldable and adapt because every player is different. All these young kids coming up are different than the guys 10, 15, 20 years ago and how you approach them and how do you deal with them on a daily basis. And I think that's really, to me, what makes a great coach, whether you're coaching youth as I do now, but you have to find a way to connect with these guys and get them going every night. Right now, Rod has that model down to a T, and you see it each and every night with this team. Well, Shane, I, I, you're teeing me up for this one. The way that you were coached and the way that your son is coached, the way you were coached won't work for, for Lake and for your son. There's no way, right? That's no. just completely out the window now. No, it's amazing because you can tell and you can see it in these kids. And, again, I'm no psychologist and don't know why, but you can see – kids in today's game when you start to accelerate or raise your voice and get to that edge you really see kids almost shutting down in a way right and it has to be that more encouragement of and explaining why you're telling them what you are telling them you can't just yell at them because it's just into a shell and and someone told me something which has stuck with me now for a while and they said well think about the kids you are coaching now and I said what do you mean they're like what kind of kids were they I'm like I still don't follow you and they're like they were the timeout kids. Remember when we all had young kids and, you know, it got away from grounding or, you know, that odd spanking, yeah. but it got to, you're in timeout. And they weren't yelled at. It was just, go sit in timeout. And it was a different way of parenting. And it's great. But now as a coach, you're like, oh, yeah, I can't yell because they just, I'm done, right? So, again, the relationship you have with your players at every level is yep. so very important. And uh, you mentioned Paul Maurice where everybody has to kind of at some point reinvent themselves. I remember talking to him. He, he talked when he went to the KHL and coached. That was the biggest thing for him. He goes, because I'd walk down the hall, and I didn't know how to say hello to these guys. So he had to learn to find a way to talk and get a common ground with uh, the players and, and describe everything. And, and when you can get to that, is that the surprise with the Canes right now? They, it looks like they got to it that early. Because everybody, Scott, talked about all – you already brought it up. The changes that they had, we look at the goaltending, but then they bring in Ian Cole and Ethan Bear and Tony D'Angelo and bring in Derek Stepan and Brendan Smith and all these new faces came in for a team that's had some success. Are you surprised that it's it's gelled this quickly? Or at least through five games, it looks like it's gelled this quickly. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I am. I, I, I think that speaks to – the core group, I think it speaks to the leadership of Jordan Stahl and everything flows from him. And I I think um, that with every passing day, you see Sebastian Ajo, even though he doesn't wear a C, he has the captain's countenance about him. And I think, you know, that young group has grown up together here. And I think, it, you know, look, listen, the expectations for this team are, are probably where they've never been since, what, coming off the... You know, the 05-06 Cup win, um, 
know this team's track record in, in a not making the playoffs for a decade, but consistently being a playoff team. Well, that's what the, this team is. That this team's you know I think most of us thought this is a team that's a lock to make the playoffs. It should challenge for first place in the Metro, which clearly early on they are. But that's not what this is about for this team anymore. It's not. Geez, hope we make the playoffs and yeah. let's see what happens. It's okay. How how do we get over the the hump? And I think my sense of it is that comes from a group that has had success, uh, but they've also had a couple stumbles. And now the you know the the, the passion or the the hunger to to be that team that can go to a cup final, certainly go back to a conference final. I mean, that's what this is about. And I think that's why, to me, you see success early here because it's a very focus-driven team. And I think teams that do well learn from losses. And this team, these last two years and losing in the playoffs, you can see they have learned from that. Winning in tight games, winning against teams. The Tampa Bay Lightning didn't go back-to-back. Yes, they have a high-level skill, but they learned to lose. Remember the year before that, first round bounced by Columbus. And you have to take your losses and learn from them and move forward. And this team definitely does because every night it's not a game where they're out of it um, going into a third period even if they're down because they know they can come back and they have that, you know, positive vibe in the room to say, hey, we're in a good spot. Let's just go and do our job and work hard as they do each and every night to get the win. Yeah, and when we look at this team, and I think this is the one thing that kind of has been glossed over by m- maybe more so fans than anybody else. Sorry, fans listening here to Kane's Cast. But uh, along the point of, you know, when your team loses, it's, all oh, how did we do that? We should have won the whole thing, and only one fan base is happy at the end of the year. But the first run to the conference final against Boston, look, Boston, they were just – I think we can all admit they were a better team at that point in time, what they have. And the Canes were kind of running out of gas when you get to the conference finals. A lot of injuries and everything caught up. For me, it was when they lost to Boston in the bubble. And they felt, no, we were there. And while it was a 4-1 series, the games didn't play out like it was 4-1. So they had that burn. And then last year, they get into the playoffs. And, all right, well, we'll see what the the Canes are going to do. They have a tough series with Nashville. And then they lose to the defending champs. So it's not like the Tampa thing where, like, Tampa was expected to win it all and gets bounced in the first round. They've learned from – it's almost – and I hate to do this analogy, and I don't know if everybody out there gets it, but a Sylvan Lake guy growing up in Edmonton. And, Scott, you know, you covered it. And, by the way, if you're not reading Scott's stuff on Daily Faceoff, you should. And we're going to be fortunate enough to get Scott at least once a month to join us here on Kane's Cast. We're going to at least make that push for you. But When he, when he sees how nice the weather stays through December, oh, he will be here more than He will than be that. here for sure. <laughs> but the, the long analogy I'm getting to is – and I'm, I know that this is going to come back to bite me from certain fans. The Oilers, when they went through it, and then they realized when they lost to the Islanders in the finals, like, that's what it takes to win. Not the, not the embarrassing loss in the playoffs. It's the, oh, that's what it takes to win. And they've gotten it twice from watching Boston and now watching Edmonton. So that's why this year I think is going to be really when you – we still have – what, 77 more games to get to? It's a lot of but, road to travel. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of runway before we take off. But, like, that's what I look at with this team. Like, they've learned from that. Like, okay, we've learned how to win. It wasn't the we know how to win and what now. It's they've learned, okay, this is what it takes to get to that next level. So that group and the leadership. And, Shane, you know what? The guys in the group, they talk about it all the time, and I love bringing in Ian Cole. Every time he's in front of the camera, well, he has used the words Stanley Cup every time he's talked about it. And, and you need that in the room. You need that. You need that as your goal. And when Rod took over, he goes, our goal is not to be a playoff team. Making the playoffs is great. Your job is to win it all. And, and that's the drive behind it. You mentioned the Edmonton Oilers. I still remember watching documentaries on these guys and what they talked about after the Islanders would take them out and walking down the hallway and looking in their locker room and seeing – laying on the ground, ice bags all over them, guys getting stitched up. And they realize that's what it's going to take to win. That is the effort and the hard-fought nights that wins you Stanley Cups. And the Oilers figured it out and went on to be a dynasty throughout. And, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up watching it, and now this team sees it. They know what they've gone through these past couple of years. They know what it takes to win now. And there's something else, and, and Scott, you already brought this up. Goaltending's changed a lot. Remember, it's we're going to put the saddle on one guy. He's probably going to play. 65 games is that era gone or 
it's it's only for an elite few. I know that Vasilevsky and Tampa, if he had his way, he plays every game. But is that era, does that have to go just because of the demands of the position now? Well, I think, I mean, logic tells you that you need the tandem, you need to platoon, you need to have guys who are fresh and, and healthy for the playoffs. But, uh, I mean, your point's an excellent one. I mean, oh, except for Vasilevsky and Tampa and, you know, the, yeah. think of their successes, not just the, the back-to-backs. I remember him coming in in game one of the 15 final against uh, Chicago after Ben Bishop got run over by Victor Hedman. Um, you know, he's he's an absolute workhorse. And and I, I think Tampa truly, they're one of the teams, maybe they're the outliers now where they're like, he can play as much as he wants, basically. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it could be 65 <laughs> or whatever. I, I mean, I think... You know, we know that both Auntie Ranta and, and Frederick Anderson, uh, there are, have been questions about their durability. Both have, have, you know, have struggled to stay healthy for long periods of time. Um, I, I don't think there's any question when both those goaltenders are healthy, um, they qualify as elite netminders. Um, so I, I, and I think, I, I think there is something, you know, I think of the Islanders and, uh, you know, what uh, Barry Trotz has done with their goaltending tandem, and they're the closest, you know, yep. the two straight trips to the East final or what qualifies the East final against Tampa. Um, so you do need that. I, I, I think it's important. Um, but maybe sometimes we'll, it, to me, it's, it's what, what's working, right? Yeah. Like, like I would, I would never like, I'm, maybe you guys feel differently, but I'm shocked that, that the goaltending, it's not a rotation, right? It's yeah. been no rotation. I'm shocked that it's happened that way. Clearly, Rod knows better than I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, the, the surprising thing for me, and I think for us, is since Rod's taken over, it has been a rotation. Yeah. I mean, in, it literally has been uh, when he got here, oh, that's, you know, you had a shutout or a you know, 26 save, one goal performance. Well, the next guy's up for the next night. You know, and they go from that. And Rod says he doesn't talk to the goalies, so uh, he leaves it to his goalie coach. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm a little surprised that – they just keep handing the ball to the ace instead of uh, getting to a rotation right now. Well, a couple of things jump into my mind. And number one, as it's not a sprint. It's a marathon yep. to get to the end of the season and then to the cup finals. But the other difference I look at right now, because everyone's like, when's Ron to get? Well, how come he hasn't played yet? Remember, last year they're playing a lot of back-to-backs yep. in the same city. So your schedule now is totally different. You have yep. two or three days in between. Frederick Anderson is an elite athlete. In two days – He's 100% unless he's tweaked something to go again. So until you get into a back-to-back situation, why do you even need to think about it? And as you and I have talked about, you're not going to win the cup in the first 10, 15 games, but you can set yourself up in a nice run. So whether we're in Vegas or playing hockey, let's ride the hot hand yeah. and get as many two points as you can to start this season to be in a great position. Well, the other thing, too, for the, for the Canes, for everybody who's been going, oh, where's Ronta? When are we going to see him? The schedule's set up where if, if Freddie got off to this start, that the coaching staff could run with him. Yeah. You know, he's had three consecutive games where he's only allowed one goal. And the game in Nashville that he allowed two, I mean, he was absolutely brilliant in it. But they had the four days off after they played Nashville, and, and everything just is set up this way. We are going to see Auntie Ranta because at the time of recording this, back-to-back's coming up with Boston and Chicago, and then a day off, and then a Sunday afternoon game against Arizona – Auntie Ranta's old team. So I get the feeling we're going to see number 32 get in the nets. But it's also the guys in front of them in the system that they play. And this is a great debate for, for a couple of team sports. But for me, when you talk about goaltendings or certain goaltenders or certain players, is it the player or is it the team and the system that he goes to? And when you look at this Hurricanes team, Shane, it, away from the goaltending, it, it just seems to be the core. Like, it's not one guy that they lean on. They do have Aho. They've got Svechnikov, who's off to the hot start. But then you can double down with Vincent Trocek's line and the mixing and matching. So what is it about the, the group that we've seen through five where we've seen some line jumbles already? And, and Rod was certainly not afraid to go to it the other night in the first period. You know, he took Kokaniemi off of the Finns line and, and put Svechnikov up there. Well, his sense of the game is so good. And he can see if someone's going. He just didn't like what he was seeing in that first period. He makes a switch, and, and it works again. But I think it's a combination of both. You know, your goaltender, when he sees that goal scoring up front, has so much confidence. He's like, well, I don't need to pitch a one-goal game tonight. We're scoring three, four, five goals a night. It relaxes me a little bit. But I go back to the group of defensemen in front of him. Anderson faced 25 shots the other night. I mean, 
not sure if he ever faced 25 in Toronto. I mean, he, he did. had usually halfway through the second halfway period, through but the he second. did. Yeah. I mean, he had to be on his game every night because that was a totally different setup team than this Carolina team whose number one focus is defense, and then the offense and the forechecks take over. Our best defense is our forecheck. If you're staying in the offensive zone and the puck possession time is there, it makes Freddie's confidence and, and time on the ice a lot easier than he's seen before. Well, and I think you – I mean, you ask the question, is it – you know, it's a system that makes a goalie. I mean, I mean, can you argue that if, uh, you know, you or I were playing for the Islanders, would we have success playing in Barry Trotz's system? Maybe, but, yeah. uh, you know, you look what uh, Sorokin's done there and uh, Varlamov, uh, you know, and I think of, you know, a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury. So that's not a trophy winner. Um, well, guess what? He's not getting the coverage yep. and the support in Chicago that he got in Las Vegas. I'm not saying he's not full value for everything that he earned in Vegas. Played phenomenally well there. He's a Hall of Famer. It's it just, you know, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. But, man, that Chicago team is, I mean, they got a, they yeah. got a million things going on there. And yeah. it's not great. And it and it's, it hasn't been great for Marc-Andre Fleury. And I think, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, coming to Carolina – Again, even with Dougie Hamilton's departure, uh, I think this group, one through six, you know, even beyond that with the depth uh, available to Rob Brindamore, uh, this is as you know, one of the top defensive units in the NHL. And, you know, you can't, it's the old cliche, you, you know, you win on defense, you can't have enough defense, especially when it comes to the playoffs. But I'm sure it's, it, it's allowed... Frederick Anderson to to thrive early on here. Yep. My guess is Auntie Ronda will find the same thing, you know, coming from Arizona where lots of ups and downs there. So I, I I'm curious to see how it works for Auntie Ronda when he gets his chance because again I think he should he should also benefit from playing um, in front of this group. Well, and you talk about the depth in in Brendan Smith and then the youngster Seth Jarvis. Yeah. I had people asking me the other night at the game, when are we going to see Jarvis? When are we going to see Smith? And I. My question back, who do you take out? Yeah. Like, everyone is playing so good. How can you go into a room and say, hey, you're not going to play tonight because we're putting this guy in? Not saying it would be a bad move to put some one of these guys in, but how do you take a guy out when the team's playing like this? You can't. You just you can't make a flip just because they're good too. Yeah, and uh, again, they're winning. Like, if if the team was 3-2 and two or, you know, the, the performances weren't up to snuff, and by the way, Rod would be the first human being on planet Earth to tell us uh, if he didn't like the performances of this team and, and what they've done, I think that's also the good thing for the Hurricanes right now is they're 5-0, and oh, and there are still some things that can be cleaned up, can be better. And, you know, for the, the players, I don't know if they like hearing that, but, you know, coaches always want something to tweak. This does lead to a different question, though. Uh, you bring up Seth Jarvis, Shane. You and I have talked about it. The whole world talks about it. Scott Burnside, you can talk to us about it now. I understand why the agreement is in place with the NHL and the CHL and what it goes back to. Um, for people who don't know, who didn't grow up with CHL hockey, there are so many little towns and areas in Canada that they really depend on their CHL franchise, be it a Western Hockey League team or an OHL or a Quebec Major Junior. Like cities just they they drive around it and i get why it's there but can there be there's got to be some adjustment now when you have a player like Jarvis where what's the benefit of of him going back to junior why can't you send him to the AHL and and i know that this is a pandora's box that i think has been talked about for about a decade now but do you think there's there's time to go back now and revisit this with so many because the players today are so more advanced than what they were say 15 certainly when this rule was put in place what 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, and I wonder at some way, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's, it's an economics thing. It's, you know, the, the, the major junior hockey people don't want to be losing their best players if they're not going to be playing in the NHL. And that's where, the, you know, if yeah. that's been the deal for, for you know, time immemorial. That if they're not in the NHL and they're uh, of that, of junior age, yep. then they're playing junior hockey. But you're absolutely right. In terms of a, of a young player's development, in terms of, what is best for that player and that organization, I mean, you'd, you'd like to think there would be some sort of middle ground and maybe that's where each team has one exemption yeah. where and maybe you can only use that exemption once every two or three years, what, however you did it. But there are certain situations where it's clear that, uh, and it's not even about 
how will they continue to, to develop if they go back to junior? And in a lot of cases, it's will they regress? Will they learn kind the kinds of habits they'll have to unlearn yeah. when they do get the chance to come to the NHL because they're so much better than the competition and the coaching isn't as refined and, and the development, it's, it's a world of difference. But yeah. we're not there yet, and, but it, it is, to me, there has to be at some point some sort of middle ground where we acknowledge what's best for the game, what's best for those NHL teams and their top young players. There should be a way to put, uh, you know, find a way for them to develop at the AHL level, which is the obvious, you know, perfect yep. middle ground. Well, the, the maddening thing for me, and, and Shane, you lived it as a player, is it's different on where you're born. If you're born in Canada, you're going back to juniors. But if you're a European guy, I think we've seen the advantage. The Canes did it with Sebastian Ajo. They send him back to Finland, and he wasn't playing with kids. He was playing in the adult men's professional league. And same thing with Marty Natchez when he was sent back when he got his, his show here with the Canes. And they sent him back, and he didn't go play with 18-year-olds in the Czech Republic who he would have dominated over. He was playing on a professional team. And then... Don't get me started with how we handle the Americans and the whole college rules, and that yeah. needs to change as well. But, I mean, Shane is a guy who, you know, you lived it. You went what? You went back to juniors as a 20-year-old, right? Yes. It, yes. What? In all seriousness, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What good did that do you? Were, were you just there like, I'm so much better than these guys. It might have made you a leader or be the, the leader of the, the group, and I get those skills. But on the ice, how did it – did it do anything to make your game better? It didn't, but I agree with what Scott said. You have to, as a player, you make sure you don't regress. And you have to find that positive nature on a daily basis to continue to develop because you know what the next step is. It's not over. And the one thing I think for Seth going back is, remember, his age, he can still mature physically, and he needs to take everything he's learning here back with him. Now, the one thing that just popped in my head as you guys were talking about is, could there be an agreement with the CHL where it turns into a call-up situation? Could you call up a junior player to Chicago if you have injuries, right? Yeah, there's always a couple guys there, but you know you'd rather call up Seth Jarvis to play in Chicago than maybe a guy from the East Coast League. So those are things that I think the league is always looking at that maybe they can do. But again, maturing as a young man and being positive and, and growing, you know when he goes back to Portland, if they're not in it, they're going to trade him to a contender where, again, you have to learn how to win. Can he win a Memorial Cup somewhere in the Western Hockey League and take that step? The other part I think that is so important to an organization, and I've talked about this with a few guys, is connection. The Carolina Hurricanes, when Seth Jarvis goes back to Portland, need to have this kid on the phone weekly, right? A phone call from Justin Williams, Don Waddell, Darren York. What's going on? How are things going? We're watching you. They're always watching. You know, here's what we saw in your game. Those kind of calls, a call from Rod Brindamore on a day off, that is what can help a young man continue to develop in the right way. It's, it's fast, you know, I always think of, I had this conversation with someone, now I can't remember who it was, but this whole notion of, oh, I know what it was. I was uh, talking to Scott Housen, the uh, president of the AHL. We're talking about yep. Katie Gay, who was the first ever yeah. female uh, official. Yeah, female referee. Uh, but anyway, it, but we talked about, you know, go back to the lockout, no 405. Uh, I know distant history now, but I think of, you know, Eric Stahl, who played a, a season in the NHL as a, you know, high, high pick and, you know, was, I don't think was ready for that. But during that lockout year, there were a number of players. Eric Stahl, Jason Spezza, I think Mike Camilleri was another player, played that lockout year in the American Hockey League. And when those players came back to the NHL, I mean, Eric Stahl came back, he was, he was a superstar. Yep. You know, critical part of that cup run in 06. And, uh, you know, maybe he didn't want to be in the AHL. There were no options at that point. But I just think, to me, that's a great illustration of how important that development uh, league is. Yep. And it's it's a shame that that's not an option for some of these young players. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think right now we should just promote all three of us to running hockey and we'd solve all right. of these problems. That's what we've done well, so we did far. Not, didn't we invent the game? That's always the I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I believe so. At yeah. least, I mean, in our minds, we, we know how to we, – we didn't invent it. Uh, we're like, what is it, BASF? We didn't invent it. We just make it better. better. That's what we that do. That was here. one of the hardest years to ever play in the American League. I was yeah. there to go into Lowell and face the Kings. I mean, they yeah, were – Cam stacked. Ward in net. Cam Ward was in the net. I'm like, who are we playing tonight, the Kings? Like, you didn't have much of a chance going into <laughs> Lowell. Um but it was an intense year that year, and again, everyone played the right way. Like no one mailed it in. They knew what they were playing for, and again, that's the hardest part mentally for a young guy, 
right? To stay that focus day in and day out. But that's something that Seth is learning here right now inside that locker room every single day from these guys. All right. Well, we've got a couple of questions on the old Twitter machine uh, for everybody who's here. So uh, we'll get to – this is an interesting one that comes up a bit, and I think we can sort of tie it into a few things we've talked about today. Uh, from Iron Kaniac. All right, good to know. Uh, do you think that Canes fans have a legitimate gripe of being disrespected by the national media? Even though the Canes are among the NHL's best teams, they won't be on ESPN Plus exclusive games until the middle of December, uh, and then they'll only be shown once on ESPN and ABC each. I This question bothers me because, uh, one, everybody loves to play the respect card or lack of respect card. Um, for the Carolina Hurricanes, there's more to it than just oh, the media doesn't respect what we do uh, on the national side. The national media tries to cast its net to the biggest audience it can possibly get. That's, that's it. Now, if the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup last year, I promise you they would have probably two games on TNT and probably three on ABC, ESPN combined, and then a lot more on ESPN+. And, Scott, uh, not to ice you on this segment for a minute, but that would really upset me and Shane because those are exclusive games, and then Shane and I are not on TV doing our job. We're just doing more podcasts. Just more podcasts. <laughs> well, all right, maybe All right, maybe let's turn a negative into a positive. Good job, Shane. Uh, but, Scott, as a guy who's worked for the national media uh, and you've covered the league as a whole, you understand – you're the perfect guy to ask because everybody thinks the media is out to get them because the big teams are like, oh, all you do is write the negative stories about us. Why don't you talk about this guy? Non-traditional markets, which I hate the term now because hockey's been here for going on 25 years. So it's a hockey market now. And I think we saw it on a Monday night. Uh, that was a pretty good crowd here from Monday night with the Leafs in town. But it's there's always some complaint that, right, we don't get enough attention. And for a place like Carolina – Sometimes isn't that a good thing? You don't have to deal with all of the demands of every day somebody wants a piece of you. And not saying it makes it easier to play, but kind of falls into that category. We talked about it with Freddie Anderson getting out of Toronto and coming here, and it's a little quieter. You can go to the grocery store and not have somebody harangue him about that, hey, you were off your angle on that goal in the second period. Yeah, I, and I think that's – I mean, there is sort of a, a fine line, I suppose, between, you know, wanting more attention and then actually getting more attention. I, I, I think it's, I will say this. Uh, I think in a, when, when you talk to, you know, when I talk to my peers in the in media and, and you talk about good teams yep. or if I do, you know, if I do a radio hit on Sirius or w whatever it is, I, I think there is a, a widespread understanding of what is going on here and how good this team is. I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's, you know, used to be, oh, you know, here's Carolina with 6,000 people in the stands. They don't deserve a hockey team, all that, you know, that kind of Canadian conceit that happened for a long time when this team was was struggling as it did, right? I mean, that, those were real things. But I think that we're well, well past that. And in terms of the, you know, the profile of the team when it comes to national broadcast, I mean, you know, I think about the last two or three years on NBC before they gave up the the, con, the national yeah. uh, contract to ESPN and, and Turner. Uh, you know, how many times did we see fading Detroit or Chicago teams figured prominently on national broadcast? Well, it's that's where, that's where the fans are. You know, I, it, there's sort of an elastic thing, right? It takes time yep. for that the broadcast, I think, to catch up to what is the reality. Those teams were not good. And they were not contenders, and they were not games that I would choose to watch. But huge fan bases, and if you're paying the multi-million dollars yep. to, to broadcast those games, I, I understand it. You know, I think of Buffalo, consistently one of the, the great TV markets in the National Hockey League, and we all know the struggles that franchise has gone through, and good for those fans for sticking by them. Um, so it is, it's, it's not, I don't think it's about lack of respect. I think it's about trying to juggle a lot of different yeah. things in the hopper when you're deciding, okay, what games are we going to put on? And Shane, the ultimate thing, do the guys in the locker room care? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. When Toronto comes to town, it was like, what is going on in this locker room? Because I wouldn't want to have that every day. I mean, those guys have the toughest job ever to play for the Leafs. I mean, there is 50, 60 reporters in the room every single day in your face with microphones. 
The guys here, that's why they love it. They can come here, they can go to work. Our media does a great job here covering the guys here, providing stories to our fans, and a reason why we brought Scott in yeah. to write great stories yes. on our players because there are so many, um, and why our fans love our players, and they're all in. But I agree, it's about the bottom line for some of these corporations and what they do. But I was watching Avs Vegas last night as we taped this, um, and they were talking about the Canes. Who are the undefeated teams right now? Yeah. Florida, the Canes. These guys are rolling right now. So uh, Mark Messier and Chris Chelios talked about the Canes last night, and it's coming, and it takes time. It's not instant because you made the playoffs and you had a great run. Yep. It's winning. It's in the playoffs and hoisting the Stanley Cup, and, and that's how it continues to build. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I think that players want to play in the outdoor games and have the, those national spectacles, just how cool it's become, and, and have that experience. But I honestly, at the end of the night, don't think that Sebastian Ajo cares if his game was on Valley Sports South or ESPN Plus or Turner or PBS. Like, he, when the game's going on, you're not like, oh, oh man, ABC's watching us. Those are ABC cameras, Shane. Like, it, I don't think that, that that thought process is there. I get it for the fans, but also on the other side, this is where um, I know we're, we're getting close to Festivus. I don't have the poll, so no airing of grievances. But, you know, when you do get the national games, you don't get Shane, Abby, Tripp, and me. So, I mean, you got to sell I'm your soul on at some that. point. Thank yeah, you. I'm down on that. Thank you, yeah. Scott. Yeah. Well, as a player, too. Scott, whatever on. we're paying you, we need to double that after that comment. I'll talk to Tom. And, again, to pump Valley Sports and the things they do and how they cover this team and how our own media covers it, you get that in-depth stories. You get yep. the things that are going on and what more in-depth stuff about the team to the fans. ESPN knows who you are, but they don't know all the background. They're coming in covering one game, then they're gone. If, if ever, and that's a perfect thing for me. Like, if you're a Canes fan, when you're watching the broadcast, you want a Canes slant to it. When it is on national, they've got to cover both, and then that's when you hear, oh, they don't, they don't care about us. And, again, it, it goes into this catch-22. If I am going to concede one bit to you know is there any of the lack of of media attention you know this team is five and oh and if you are listening to anything that is a national radio show or watching those shows remember you only have like two hours there's only 60 minutes in an hour to cover you can't cover every team i don't see the st louis blues getting blown up right now for how great they are and they're off to a hot start the panthers are off to a hot start they're getting talked about in in, in a way but it's not like they're dominating the headlines either, and they're a really good team. Edmonton, there's another one. Maybe the two best players in the league. And, and I say that because we can – Leon Dreisaitl is the guy who I say two best. I think we all can agree it's Connor McDavid. And how much coverage do the Edmonton Oilers get? And finally, they're undefeated right now and off to this hot start. And what do you get? Oh, well, they play in the Pacific Division, and that's not very good, and that's what they should do. Uh, but it does lead me to a division question. My goodness, the Metro. What a meat grinder this thing is going to be. And it's every, every night I look, it's like nobody in the Metro loses unless they're playing somebody in the Metro, uh, which is that going to be, let's go long-term picture. Is that going to be, you know, iron sharp, you know, sharpens iron, or is this going to be by the time you get to the playoffs, what do you have left in the tank? Yeah. I, 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 think it's, I think it's a good thing. And I, and I think to me the fascinating part will be, well, you know, you sort of imagine is it, you know, you send four from the Atlantic, four from the Metro. And I think people wondered, you know, are, are we going to see a decline in Washington? Are we seeing a decline in Pittsburgh? Of course, no Crosby, no Malkin, Chris Letang, out, yep. Jake Gensel missed the start. And that team, you know, they could beat the uh, night before we were taping this. Tampa beat them pretty handily, yep. but they've been very impressive. So they're in the hunt. Carolina, you know, where the Rangers off to a good start yep. uh, for an emerging young team. So now, to me, I think the question is, is it, you know, will there be – is there room for five teams from the Metro? Um, and I think it, 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 I think it sharpens the, you know, the level of competition, you know, where you don't have, you don't have those weak sisters where, you know, where, where you have two or three teams, uh, you know, that, that are getting beat up on a, on a regular yep. basis. And if you would have told me that the Columbus Blue Jackets were going to get off to this start, I mean, that's, again, that's what I keep looking Brad at. Brad Larson, good job by him and the bench there. And captain of the world junior team I was able to be a part of. And, I mean, Brad stepping in there and knowing Brad and his character. I mean, I was like, oh, Toros, he is the same kind of way. Like, so hard working, <laughs> just like Rod. I remember when they came here, when I saw him, he's running the stairs in PNC Arena. I'm like, he's still going. 
Like he, very yep. similar to what Rod does in a great team guy and a player that gets it because he, he gets what you need day in and day out, and he can fire up a room uh, similar like Rod does. I'm, I'm going to just put this in perspective. As of, uh, and I love always saying, as of recording this, uh, as of recording yeah. this podcast, the Philadelphia Flyers are in last place in the Metro. They have one loss in regulation, and it's, they're 2-1-1. One, and, one, so. and this might be the year where people, like you said, have the gripe of do five Metro teams get in because the Atlantic is going to be weaker this year with yep. some of the losses they have and Toronto's very tough start. Tampa's a little slow out of the gates. They'll make it back, but uh, that division is definitely weaker than the Metro. So sure. this is a year where it's going to be very tough at the end of the year to see how many teams from the Metro actually get in. Uh, I, I will be very shocked because uh, Scotty and I talked about it the other day. You talked about it. It's one of my favorite lines. You kind of already hinted at it too, Shane. You don't make the playoffs in October, but you can miss them. And Toronto is putting themselves on this path of if they don't get in that top three in the Atlantic, I can see the wild card teams coming out of the Metro because they can feast on the Atlantic and get those six points and what they're going to do against the Pacific division, making it tough for everybody else. But it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I can't, I can't wait to see how this plays out the rest of the way. And that's good. And also, I deflected us all away from uh, the lack of national media attention by that's good. shining a light. Thank you. It's what and, I every and, you know. The great movie Bull Durham filmed here. Winning is fun. It is it's <laughs> way better than losing. That's <laughs> what they tell me. Also, uh, you know, every now and again, you just have to hit the bull. Just putting that out there. What he hit the bull, he gets a free steak. Uh, this is a uh, interesting question uh, from Yager Free Agency. By the way. Hats off to Yarmir Yager. Still, still getting it still done. Going. He could still play a couple of shifts over here <laughs> if he wanted to, right? If he really wanted to. he does. I don't think he does. I mean, he says that he wants to retire, but he owns his team, so he has to play. Uh, but this, this actually concerns hockey over uh, in Europe. Do you think that there's a chance that Peter Kochikov comes to North America at the end of this season? This is a goalie the Hurricanes drafted a few years ago. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if he's going to come over at the end of the season for a couple of reasons. One, Frederick Anderson and Antti Rant are both signed for next year. So if the goaltending holds true for, for Carolina, one thing about goalies in the KHL and who've been drafted, I've noticed, Scott and Shane, I think you've noticed too, if there isn't a position, and most notably the number one, they the goalies generally will stay in the KHL until that position comes up. Well, that was the, the deal with Sorokin for, for a while. Exactly. So, I mean, odds, I'd, I'd put it slim. Yeah, and, and again, I, you mentioned it before, you know, um, you know, the development staff here, it, as long as there's a comfort level that, you know, that the evolution is, is going on, yep. if they're staying in the K, then that's probably the best spot. I think, you know, the only other thing is at some point, you know, do you want a player to come and get used to life in North America? I mean, that's, you know, that's the other balancing part of it. But I, I think you're right. I think they're generally, in, unless there's a real spot or a need for them to be in North America, I don't think it really hurts that, he's, that he stays home. Yeah. No, and it come, I mean, a couple of different reasons. One, you're staying home. Again, the development piece is huge. Two, he's making more financially to play in Russia than he would in yeah. Chicago. And again, when you come over, if you're making that commitment to come over here and it's tough. I mean, I went and played in Europe for a year, and I don't think guys realize until you're the one guy on the team that's only speaking English how hard it really is to settle in. And if you're coming over, you want to be in the NHL. You want to be in that atmosphere. Um, so I get why players do it. And, again, from a team perspective, development is huge. And if he's getting yep. better development there than here, then so be it. Really. Uh, and if he, is he playing? Like, that's a bigger that's thing. The, like, for yeah. goalie development, it's all how many starts are you getting. So, if he's going to go over there, and goalies, that's the one mystery position. Nobody's cracked the code on, you know, that's who the reason draft. Rod doesn't speak to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amongst other things, too. Uh, all right, well, we have uh, this to get to. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. From Josh W., and by the way, thank you, Will Farrell, for that. Uh, the first, like it, take it, Shane, Scott. This is how this works, Scott. So we get to bring you into this now. So this started a long time ago. We'll bring out a subject, usually a question. Somebody makes a statement. If you like it, you can keep it. And as you heard, Will Ferrell, if not, send it back to the person asking the question. This is from Josh. One, Andrei Svechnikov and or Sebastian Ajo. See, this is where people start covering their bases. will break the franchise record of 105 points in a single season this year. You taking that or are you sending it back? 
105 points in a season. That's a lot. Especially That's a lot. Especially with the balance in this lineup, too. And, the, again, I always go back to the difference in the game. Like, yes, right now they're putting the puck in the net, but we know how things tighten up. Yep. Second half of the year, you got to deal with a long Olympic break. How do guys get rolling after that? Um, and, again, when I go back to the balance, and I talked about in the show the other night how well Rod manages his bench, it would be tough to get to 100. I mean, I, how many guys got 100 last year in the National Hockey League? Uh, you had Connor McDavid in 56 games. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so go two years back then when we got a full 82 games. Oh, it was shortened two years ago, too. True. Got to go three years ago. I don't remember that. So you get like six, seven players now who do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hedge the, the bet. I'm going to say if it happens, it would be Ajo because centers just have more opportunity to put points on the board than a winger. But Andrei Svechnikov is leading the, le- the, leading the team in points right now. He is a playmaker. Like That's the thing about Andrei Sveshnikov that everybody thinks, oh, goal scorer, goal scorer. When he came in, I remember asking him, like, well, who do you model your game after? Like, who are you like? And he said, as a playmaker, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov in, in Washington. And he is an underrated passer, yeah. as uh, we've seen, especially on that Trocek pass with a nice little sauce in the finish. But I just think 100 points in this league is so – I'm, I'm going to send it back. I'm sending it back. Sorry, Josh. Good question, sending it back. But he does have a follow-up. If Frederick Anderson hits 55-plus starts, will he be a fi- he will be a finalist for the Vesna. I don't know if they want him to get to 55, but if he does and he's – yeah, I, I would say yes. Abs- if he makes 55-plus starts, that means he's been playing like this. He will be one of the three finalists for the Vesna this year. Yes, I'll take that. And yeah. the Canes are in first place. Yeah, well <laughs> – yeah, if he's playing like this. Yeah, I'll take that too because, and I think generally speaking, if you're going to be in that Vezina discussion, you, you're carrying a heavy load. I mean, whether it's Vasilevsky or Fleury and you look at what they've, you know, those kinds of goaltenders um, historically do, you know, you have to be in that, I would say, 55 start yeah. range anyway. Uh, and uh, this one is from me. The Canes, 5-0 and right now. They finished the month of October 8-0. and Perfect sweep to start the season. Is it like talking about a shutout or no yeah, it is. And you know, I, I'll take I'll Let's, take the jinx. That's it. fine. I'm not saying that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> big game, big game Thursday night against the Bruins. Yes. Canes. Can I hedge my bet and say the Canes win that game? I'm going to take it. Sure, you can hedge it. Whatever you want to do, because if they lose that game, then you have to send it. You back. read between the lines. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to take it. I like this team right All now. Right, I like how what about, they're doing. How about this? Won't have a. I'll amend it uh, because now Scott has brought up the announcer jinx, which is not a thing, <laughs> but it is. Not a thing until Thursday. It's not a thing until it is. The Canes will not have a loss in regulation uh, See, I in was gonna, I was going to ride that fence. So, yeah, no, I think I'll take that. No no regulation loss in October. I, I can go there. All right. I'm good with that. I'm going to take it. The All Canes, right. we talked about this. The Canes could be 10-0 and 0 heading to Florida in November. All right. Well, I – I just wanted Take to, it, fans. I just wanted to put that out there. Again, you don't have to. You don't have to like it. I don't believe in the announcer jinx. So if I could make things happen by speaking it into existence, I would be a billionaire by now. Wait, you mean you can't? I can't. Can you say I'm going to win the Powerball Saturday? No. See what I what I should say <laughs> is you're not going to win the Powerball, and then yeah. you do because it's the opposite of what happens. So there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. Uh, there is one thing that we do need to to talk about though and it's away from the Carolina Hurricanes and Scott uh, has put up a, a really good article uh, about it and if you haven't read it it's on Daily Faceoff it's about the Chicago Blackhawks situation uh, if you are not up to speed to it basically uh, I'll, I'll give the cliff notes because this is a very difficult story to get through in 2010 they had a, a video coach who basically was a predator uh, and preyed on a young player who was a black ace during the playoffs and basically forced him uh, into an act uh, that no one should ever be forced into. Uh, And I am really glossing over details, and I understand that. Um, But a lot of people knew about it in 2010. And the fallout that's come down, Stan Bowman has stepped aside, and this is a great point of Scott's article, has stepped aside as the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks and a few other uh, people have stepped aside or have been removed from their jobs, and things are going to change. And this is not anywhere near done yet either. Uh, the Blackhawks were also fined 
$2 million by the NHL for their handling of it. But Scott, in your article, you write, no, there's still questions that need to be answered. And, and some of these questions are maddening. And I know that we live in a world where semantics are a thing, like how you say something. But in your article on Daily Faceoff, I'm with you. I don't like the term that Stan Bowman stepped aside. Uh, th- this shouldn't have been a, Stan, what do you want to do? It should have been the Blackhawks have parted ways. We have removed Stan. And, and again, if you read the story, it's not as simple as, you know, well, Stan was, you know, the mastermind behind it. Th- this story goes very deep. It goes to the former president of the Chicago Blackhawks who hasn't been there. But I, I don't, I don't know what the ending of this will be. Um, Hopefully what it does is it never will allow a story like this to happen again anywhere, not just the NHL, but anywhere in in pro sports where uh, you have somebody who abuses their power and and forces someone into a situation. So, Scott, I mean, we can't sum this up in like five minutes of what's going to happen, but when you saw the news come out that this is what's going on with the Blackhawks, like what's the immediate reaction now what needs to happen? What are the next steps, I guess? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, if there are some positives to how this has unfolded is that the Blackhawks did make good on their promise to make public the findings of an independent investigation into what happened. And, and, and the Blackhawks were very, you know, relatively candid about basically at the time in 2010, they put, the organization put winning over doing the right thing um, uh, did not act on information they had about um, allegations of sexual assault against one of their players, didn't act on it for three weeks. He went on to uh, be convicted of sexual assault uh, against a teenage, um, I believe it was a hockey player, but a teenage athlete. Um, You know, so there were a lot of people who, you know, could have done something, should have done something, should have said something, didn't happen the way it should have happened and took far too long for it to come out. You know, we're still waiting to see now. Commissioner Gary Bettman will be speaking with Joel Quenville, who was the head coach at the time and was part of that meeting um, where they the decision, the discussion about whether there was supposed to be too much of a distraction heading into the 2010 Stanley Cup final. Kevin Shovel Day off the jam in Winnipeg was also part of that group. Gary Bettman will be speaking with him. Um, so there are a lot of still unanswered questions about um, you know, what will happen next. I, I guess I, I hope, and maybe Shane can speak to this too, I would like to think that around the NHL, every single organization is looking at how this unfolded and has put themselves in the same position and say, okay, what, what should have been done? Would we do the right thing? What is our plan when or if something like this happened? That's what I would like to think has happened or will happen as a result of this, but it's something that has shaken the sport as it should. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a, it is a black mark on the game and it's a black mark on that black heart, black Hawk organization. One of the you know, sort of standard bearers in terms of franchise profile in the NHL. And so lots of lessons to be learned here. Yeah. With an original six organization. And again, this is something you never want to see, hear about or happen um, in the world today. And it did. And again, it was handled very poorly, uh, completely wrong, to say the least. Um, and again, it, it's tough for the players, the, the players that were involved and, and the organization to get through. But I go back to, as you said, every organization needs to, again, self-evaluate. Because what are you putting up not only as outlets for your players to speak to? We talk about how strong your voice is. And when you're in situations, you do not speak about things but making sure you have that open line of communication, not only with your players, with your staff. And the league has always done good things with um, programs players can get involved in, with alcohol and drug abuse. We know how big that is coming out of this summer with Jimmy Hayes and so many other players and, and, and devastating loss to the game. And I know the league will do the right things as far as putting these things out, but I always go back to, and even in youth hockey today, we have to reevaluate what winning means. And winning doesn't take precedence over the lives of our players and staff and, and people and fans in this in this building. So the league is definitely sorting through things and trying to do right things. And, and the articles that you wrote were great yeah. and bringing this because it has to be there. Because if it's not talked about, it can't be fixed. So after you get through the horribleness of all this stuff, how can you take a step forward and make sure it doesn't ever happen again? And the, the tough part, 
when you're trying to process all of this um, is unfortunately it seems it takes something this terrible and to be mishandled this poorly by an organization for change to happen and real change to happen. Um, Shane, I'm glad that you brought up, you know, Jimmy Hayes and other situations. Think about the countless players who before now, and I hate to, to draw this parallel, but Carey Price, whatever he's going through, in years past it would just be deal with it, put it in some closet, and when your career is over, maybe we'll find out what's wrong. Now the NHLPA, there are programs, the NHL, there are assistance programs for players. There's no shame in a player going, hey, I need to take a break. I look at the Jonathan Drouin situation from last Absolutely. year. And Shane, you know it as a player – you know, we think that, oh, you are, you're invincible. And as a player, you kind of think you're invincible, but then you get to this point of, you know, anxiety sets in, the pressure to perform sets in. And then when you have, and I use the word and I'll use it again, you have some predator out there that will prey on, well, I know that this guy wants to play and I can do, and this used to be a story that was in the junior ranks coming up and coaching. I, Shane, I couldn't imagine uh, the pressure that you went through, but everybody wants to make the league. And to have somebody in the NHL do this to a, a young man and put him in, in that terrible situation, that ruins him for life. And then my problem was it wasn't acted on, and it allowed this guy to move on into high school sports. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I'm saying I hate that it takes something so terrible for us to now step back and say, well, how do we fix it? The only thing that I hope going forward is – Everybody knows the second this thing goes up the ladder, it gets announced, and we're going to be like, all right, winning is, we understand the priority of professional sports, but it shouldn't be the number one priority over human beings' well-being in this yeah. situation. Well, I think yeah, Danny Wirtz, the new CEO of the Blackhawks, said it best, and he said, John Doe deserved better from yep. us, and, and, and they failed him. Yep. And, you know, you acknowledging that is something, and, and you're right, we just, it's just hope that the lessons learned yep. are, uh, are are long-term lessons and that we don't have this happen again. Yeah, and uh, that's that. But it is – Scott's a great article. And, and, like, you use the word maddening in it, and it absolutely is that, that we got into this point. But uh, it was a serious topic, and it is a, a, a big thing that – not just for the hockey world, but for the sports world or, or any business. Like, nobody should ever – be allowed to put somebody in that that situation so we hope that uh, the right steps will be taken and you know there's still going to be a lot of fallout from this and it's going to have an impact not just on the Blackhawks but a couple other organizations it appears like in the NHL we'll see what what happens from there but Scott actually thanks one for being here and taking the time and joining the, the podcast we're going to get you at least once a month right I'm so excited I can't wait to get back I have one more oh you do obviously Scott has written some amazing articles yes is there one that stands out to you in your mind? I mean, it, we what's, it's a player. Yeah, what's your what's your stand what's your number out? one? Like, Wait, is it a player interview? Is it because I'm I'm with Shane on this? We we went to a very serious topic, but uh, we've got a chance to you know talk to a guy who you have to write all you've written all of these stories, the good, the bad, and in this case, the ugly. But is there a story that you look back on and be like, you know, that's 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 the one? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's like. I don't know, Shane. Is there a, is there a single game for you? I I don't know. I I, I will say I, I was um, I was fortunate for a period of time. I spent days with the Stanley Cup every summer when I was with ESPN, and uh, and I will say one of my favorite. I spent a day with Sidney Crosby after they won the Cup in '09 at his place in Nova Scotia, and uh, that was pretty unbelievable. And Sid and his family were very gracious. Got to spend some time and. I was actually in the Stanley Cup parade because there was no other way for me to get to where I needed to go. <laughs> if I wasn't, I was right behind Granny and Grandpa. But that was pretty cool. But one, I will tell you, one of my favorite, and there were two days, I spent a day with Brett Hedekin after the Cup win in 06. And the day before, I was with uh, Eric Stahl in Thunder Bay. And both those days, um, they were the first time I had done those kinds of stories. And I still remember, and Eric and I, whenever we see each other, we still, we talk about it, and we talk about the lake and all that kind of stuff. And Brett Hedekin, um, you know, the, what it was like for him, the emotion that he had, and they had the giant Canes jersey on the snowman outside of St. Paul. It was, it, it's, it still resonates for me. Well, I think that's the thing. As you mentioned, there's not a single game. and You have so many, like you said, great stories that you've been able to be a part of. And I think that's yeah. a great part about the sport, is just sitting in a room with guys 
who have been around and the number of like unbelievable stories you could sit and talk about yeah. over a cold storm brew. Um, just 97 calories and 2.4 carbs. Um, a lot of the guys sponsor this podcast. Those. Yeah, absolutely. Great way. I mean, great way to enjoy a lot of Scott's articles yeah. Yeah. and this podcast as well. True. Sip it, read, listen. It's all good. Yeah. So. But I think that's, that's the best part about the game is telling those stories and, and just seeing the, you, you being able to be behind the scenes, like you said, at those, those parties of just being a fly on the wall, right. And watching yep. what it means to those guys and the families and the things they've gone through to get to that point. And again, everyone's lived in different ways, whether you're playing professional sports or a writer, a great writer like yourself and Mike, the business you've been in and sports and radio and where you've, you know, trended to now as an announcer, the stories, you know, from behind the scenes and some of the ones we laugh about being in Buffalo back in when you started as an intern. Exactly. I mean, those all mean something to (laughs) some stories that will never see the light of day. Correct. Some we cannot tell. By by the way, it's, it's Scott, you can admit that. And Shane, you know, that as a player. Some of the best stories are the stories that we can't, on, on a good reason why we can't share uh, that happens. It takes uh, a few the, more storm brew. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, Scott, this is good. We get to turn around. Normally, you ask the questions or we ask you your yeah. thought about you. Did you ever go into a story? Like, all right, I'm going to go in and this is what I'm going to write. And you get, you know, five, ten minutes in, either at a game covering a subject or actually writing it and going like, no, I got it. This has to go to a different direction. This is not the story I was planning on. Is not the story I'm going to write. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, it happens all the time. I think, and and you know, and that's a good thing about it too. Is that you, you know, and I, you know, sometimes it, you know, if you're a boss and you have an expectation, I, I want this, and you turn around and give them something else. I mean, that you know, I'm sure that's maddening for them. But it's, it, you know, it's like a game. You you, you game plan a yep. game, and then you adjust and you adjust and you adjust. And I don't think it's any different for a reporter. Yeah, nothing like going into Shane. You know this. Nothing like going into a game with a game plan in the first three minutes. Well, that's out the window. That's out the window. Something We're new. We're down three. We might need to change things. <laughs> We're gonna kill Scott Burnside. This is awesome, and I'm I'm so excited. We're gonna have you on the Me podcast too. all year, Shane. Always great to talk to you. Yes, my friend. I'll be here next week. Uh, I'll be here next week as well. And I mean, if we need to, we can track down Scott on the road at some point in time. Absolutely. We'll get that. And again, folks, Scott is also going to be part of CarolinaHurricanes.com. He's going to write a lot of feature stories, go in-depth on players. Uh, And if you have never read Scott, uh, Google him. That's one of our favorite things now. And catch up on some of the great works that uh, he has done throughout his career. Do we know what the first story is going to be? Yeah. Can you give us us a little hint? A little trailer? Uh, I don't know which one will be the first, although uh, I've uh, I've already imposed myself on Rod, so I'm going to spend the day with him before the Bruin game. And in the uh, gym, uh, he doesn't want me in the gym, <laughs> so probably just as well. I wouldn't know my way there. So. Uh, spend some time with Freddie Anderson. Uh, I also spend some time with Don Waddell, whose uh, whose story is uh, you know is is, is legendary hockey yep. lifer. So it'll be a bunch of different stuff, I think. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. Make sure that Don wears the Kings jersey from his game. He's got it, so, and he can fit into it. I've seen that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he can play in it, but he can fit into it. And, of course, there'll be a turtleneck underneath. Of course. Of course there will be. All right, so that'll do it for this episode, 193 of the Canes Cast. Special thanks to Scott Burnside, who is now part of the Carolina Hurricanes family, uh, writing stories, and, of course, read them on Daily Face Off and listen to him here. Shane, always great to talk to you. Always, my friend. We'll see you. Next week. Valley Sports. Oh, absolutely. We've got a huge homestand to get to. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.